0: All right, so we've been in the series together looking at these these songs, these hymns, uh, these Christmas carols. And in 1224, St. Francis of Assisi had the first ever nativity scene built. And he placed it into his church to help people better understand the Christmas story. So it's Christmas Eve and people show up to church and they saw for the very first time there in church, Joseph and Mary and the little precious baby Jesus in a manger. Now you need to understand, dinosaurs were not included in that first manger scene. (laughs) And so... uh, If you don't know what that was about, it means you missed last week's sermon, so I encourage you to go online and watch or listen uh, and and check that out. Dinosaurs were not included in that one. Now, since that time, 1224, the manger has become one of the main primary symbols of Christmas. In fact, on your way out this morning, right on the other side of that door, when you go out and go uh, see Derek and Aaron at the compassion booth, you'll also notice uh, that we have a hand carved, at least most of the items, hand carved. Bethlehem olive wood manger scene that, uh, that a handful of people here at LifePoint uh, donated when we went on to Israel a few years ago. It was made in Bethlehem. And it's, uh, it's an incredible manger scene. Uh, and they were very generous in their donation. speaking of which, uh, mm, February, March 2018, I'm heading back to Israel. So if anybody wants to join me, I'll let you know. It's coming up soon. 300 years ago, Francis of Assisi in 1224, he put that first nativity scene together. 300 years ago, Martin Luther, who's the great reformer and the uh, father of the Protestant Reformation, he composed one of the best-known songs of Christmas that feature that humble manger. Martin Luther created the, the song for his children, and he sung it every single night to them during the Christmas season. The song was published under the title, Luther's Cradle Hymn. But we know it as. Anybody want to take a guess? What do we know it as? The song was played during communion. What is it? Away in the Manger. Now, here's the problem the whole Martin Luther wrote the song and sang it to his kids? Fake news. No, really, it was fake news. The real story was that it was first published in Philadelphia by the General Council of the Evangelical Lutheran Church. And originally it had two verses, and then it was called "Away in the Manger. But two years later, in 1887, famous American hymn writer James Ramsey Murray, he included the song in his publication, Dainty Songs for Little Lads and Lassies. And it's a bestseller on Amazon right now, if you want to go grab that. In that publication, that's where the song was called, Luther's Cradle Hymn. And there you see a picture of it. Well, back then in the late 1800s, the song spread across America uh, with America growing, and it spread, and people began to sing it in their homes and at churches and at schools. And people would just pictured, you know, legions of German mothers who were singing, you know, this song each night as their kids went to bed. The song became so popular in America that American newspapers began to praise the song and the incredible song that it was and and, and the German heritage that it had and the powerful inspiration that obviously could have only come from the great Martin Luther himself. And yet it was all based on fake news. To this day, it's still a mystery why Murray credited the song to Martin Luther. Isn't that interesting? Interesting. Rather this week, for the next few minutes that we have together, rather than break the song down like we've done each week, looking at all the verses, what I want to do just for the next few minutes is I just want to zero in on one phrase that's used over and over and over again in the song. And it's the phrase, the little Lord Jesus. The little Lord Jesus. And while I love the phrase, in some ways, focusing in on this baby Jesus, it actually does a disservice to us. You see, Jesus isn't this sweet little six-pound, eight-ounce baby. There's so much more to what God intended for it. So here's our key thought for us this morning. Jesus is not a little baby in the manger. Jesus is Lord of all. Jesus is Lord. Let's, in fact, say that together. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord. One more time. Jesus is Lord. In fact, over 700 times in the New Testament, Jesus is referred to as Lord. I want you to turn to one of those, Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. I want to look at the, one of the most quoted verses pertaining to the Christmas story and to the birth of Jesus. Now, to give you the context as you're turning to Luke 2, there's these shepherds, they're in the Bethlehem area, and they're out, and they're watching their, you know, their animals, their flocks, and they're protecting them and taking care of them. And all of a sudden, an angel shows up, and I want you to notice what he says to them. Luke chapter 2, verse 10. The angel said to them, first of all, don't be afraid, because, of course, they would have been afraid. They hadn't seen something like this before. Don't be afraid, and he says this. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. See, this is the news the people of Israel have been waiting for centuries. Now, the question is, who's the Savior? What does the angel say? Notice what he says. He says, he is the Messiah, or the Christ, the Savior, the Lord. At the very beginning of the Christmas story, it's established to us that Jesus is the Son of God that he is born, and that he is the Savior, the Messiah of the world. And he is what? He is the? He is the what? He is the? He's the Lord. The big question I want to deal with for just the next few minutes is, what does that mean to you and me? If Jesus is Lord, what does it mean in everyday life? If you're married, what does it mean in your marriage? If you're dating, what does it mean in dating life? If it's finals week for some of you, what does it mean in your finals? What does Jesus' mean, Jesus is Lord mean while you're out buying presents? What does it mean that Jesus is Lord when at 4 a.m. you wake up to a barking dog? The barking dog that barks constantly and it seems like it's worse in the summer. And you wake up and you can't go back to sleep. And you know you're going to get up in an hour to do this sermon, but you wake up and you're just laying there. <laughs> and you're tired of this yapping dog. And so you get out of your bed and you put on your slippers and you grab the keys and you go around to the other side where you know the, 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 the sound is coming from, from the dog. And you start walking up and down, looking listening to the, where, which house it's coming from. And you're sitting there wondering... Uh, what am I going to do? I know I'm preaching about, or somebody's going to be preaching about Jesus as Lord <laughs> in a few hours. And so when you get ready to knock on this door, and, and these people haven't been neighborly, and you're going to be neighborly at 4.05 a.m., what are you going to do? How is Jesus going to be Lord in that moment? Stay tuned another time <laughs> for what happened next. By the way, that's all a true story this morning. Yes, I did get up. Yes, this dog's driven me nuts. I was about 80% certain which house it was. But since I wasn't 100% certain, I didn't want to knock on a door yet. So I'm going to have to figure out my plan. (laughs) How Jesus is going to be Lord in that situation of my life. So if you have any advice, I will take it. Because... Right at the moment, Jesus isn't Lord (laughs) in that situation with me. So it's good I didn't knock. The Greek word that's translated as Lord, it can mean supreme in authority. Owner. The one who is in control. You know what that means? It means controller. Now, I imagine for some of you, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is controller. I imagine for some of you, the word controller is a bit of a challenge for you because you want to be in control. Now, thankfully, I don't have a control problem (laughs) because I'm not a control freak as long as everybody does what I say. Listen, I can barely sit in the passenger seat of a car because nobody drives right. You got a bunch of schmohawks out there driving. (laughs) I go to a certain friend's house to watch football games, and I got to tell you, he is terrible at fast-forwarding between plays. (laughs) And I want the remote, but he refuses to give me the remote. See, I can control it better, but the problem is, he's a bigger control freak than me. (laughs) Keeping my eyes above the room right now. That's awesome, Dave. (laughs) We all want to be in control in some ways and in some areas of our lives, don't we? Isn't that true? We all in some areas. So what does Jesus is Lord mean? It means he's supreme in authority. He's the controller. He's in control of my life. And if I can just be technical for a moment here. How often have you said or you've heard somebody say, hey, I made Jesus Lord of my life. Have you ever heard that? I've, I've made or they made Jesus Lord of my li- their life. You've heard that before, right? Technically, we don't make Jesus Lord. Now, why is that? Because the Bible very clearly says that God made Jesus Lord. The first sermon ever preached after Jesus went up to heaven was Peter. And and he shared the whole Jesus story of what had happened. And he concluded the message in Acts 2.38. And he said this. This is the conclusion of the very first sermon. And he said, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. You see, Jesus is already Lord. You and I don't make him Lord. What we do is we surrender to what already is. We surrender our lives to his lordship. So how do we do it? How do we surrender? Well, there's two ways typically. I mean, you could break it down more, but first time this morning, two ways. And the first is what we're going to call the partially surrendered life. You see, this is when we're just real casual about our faith, when we're kind of, sometimes you've heard the term, you're a a person's a cultural Christian, which is to say that it's when we believe in God, but by our actions, by the way we live, we're living as if he doesn't actually exist. It's believing in Jesus and believing he is Lord, but by our actions and by our behaviors and by our choices, we're living like Jesus isn't really Lord. It's the partially surrendered life. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 6. He said, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Why do you call me the Lord of your life and do not do what? Do not do what who says. What who? I say. Why is it you're calling me Lord? In other words, the one who's the supreme controller of our life, in command of our life. But then we go off and we do whatever we want. You've heard that old saying, don't just talk the talk, but walk the walk. See, practically speaking, the partially surrendered life is when we take the Bible and you say, you know, when it comes to relationships, I know Jesus says I'm supposed to pray for those who hurt me. You know, I'm supposed to forgive. But you know, after what they did to me, there's just no way I can do that. I can't. I won't. You don't understand, Pastor. You don't understand God, the Bible. You don't understand. It's just a little more complicated than the Bible says or realizes. The partially surrendered life when it comes to our money. I I know I'm not supposed to go into crazy debt and I'm to trust God and live within my means. I know I'm supposed to give a percentage to God, 10%. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. There's no way I'm going to do that. Oh, I'm supposed to give God my time. Okay, so I'll give him my Sundays every once in a while. I'm not giving him my Fridays. I'm not giving him Friday night, my Saturday night. I'm not giving him my work time. There's things I got to get done. What is all that? That's just simply the partially surrendered life. In fact, on the screen, we're putting up Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. It's in the PSV version. That's the partially surrendered version. And, and I want to read this version together. And notice what it says. It says, trust in the Lord with how much of our heart? With? With some of your heart. And lean on whose understanding? On your own understanding. In how many of your ways? In some of your ways. Acknowledge him. And who can make your own path straight? Who? You can make whose? Your own paths straight. Now, for those who are new, or if this is your first time in a church, i got to tell you, that version doesn't really exist. It does, it's not out there. We'll come back to the real version in a little bit. But here's what we need to understand. Jesus is not a part-time Lord. And so he doesn't give us the option to be part-time followers or partially surrendered followers Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciples, wh- what do they have to do? They have to what? Deny themselves. Deny themselves. Take up their cross and follow me. Galatians 2.20, Paul said it this way. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. That's how he interpreted this verse. Matthew chapter 16, verse 25, if you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you, what's the word? If you, what's the two words? But, uh, is it there? But if you what? If you give up your life. You'll save it. In other words, we come under the lordship of Jesus by surrendering our life to him. He is the supreme in authority. He is the one who decides what is right. He is the one who decides what is wrong. And it's not ours to pick and choose. It's not ours to pick and choose from the Bible. Well, you know, I, I like this part, but, but I don't really like this part. Well, you know, I like this part, but, you know, uh, society's changed a lot, and, and that's just cultural, and so it doesn't really apply today. And, and, you know, and if God understood the times we live in, that's the partially surrendered life following the PSV version of Proverbs chapter 3. Jesus is serious. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? You see, with Jesus, partial surrender is not an option. So here's what I want you to do for just a moment. I want you to be open right now to what God might be trying to show you as you, even as I'm talking, as you prayerfully consider and prayerfully pray and just say, God, yes, the Holy Spirit, what have I not surrendered to you, Lord? As I'm talking, you you and God can talk. God, what am I not surrendered to you? What area of my life am I still trying to control? What have I been unwilling to give to you, God? What areas of the reality is I've just been viewing you as the little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay. Maybe you're trusting God in all areas or most areas of your life, but for you it's like, not my kids. No, 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 no. I, I, I need to wrestle control over that one. It could be your future. You're like, hey, I got it all mapped out. I'm going to finish this, I'm going to finish that. I'm going to do this, I'm going to go there, I'm going to graduate here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be with this person, I'm going to get this job, I got it all planned out, and you won't surrender your future. It could be a relationship. You're like, I'm just not going to do what God wants me to do. I'm not going to forgive, or I'm not going to have that crucial, important conversation, or whatever it is. Or, or, you know, maybe if you're dating, you're like, hey, I know I shouldn't be dating this person, but but I'm going to do it anyways. And you just have to stay in control in that area of your life with relationships, doing it your way rather than listening to God. With the help of the Holy Spirit, just right now, I want you to be as honest as you can and identify it. What is that? What is it? And here's why this is important because confession, repentance, those are the first steps that lead us to the fully surrendered life. Fully surrendered, all in. I'm not a Sunday Christian. I'm not a kind of when it's convenient Christian, but I'm a full on holding nothing back. My life does not belong to me. I've been crucified with Christ. It belongs to him. That kind of commitment. That's what I'm committed to. In fact, I love the way Paul uh, phrased it in Romans chapter 14. In verse 7 and 8, and he says this. He says, for none of us live our lives for ourselves alone. We don't live for ourselves, or we don't die for, notice what it says, or none of us dies for ourselves alone. Now, real quick, let me ask you, how many of us right now are living? How many of us are living? Okay, so about 10% of you <laughs> are living right now. So notice what the verse goes on in the say, verse 8. If we live, and so that's about 10% of you, the rest tune out. If we live, we live for the Lord. That's uh, actually a bad translation. Another translation says it this way. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. That's what it really means. It's to honor the Lord. And if we die, it's to do what? It's to die for the Lord, or a better translation, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, who do you belong to? If you're a Christian, who do you belong to? The Bible says whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. To the Lord. We belong to him. 1 Corinthians 6.19, you are not your own, it says. You are not your own. When we surrender to his lordship, because remember, God already made him lord. When we surrender, we're saying we belong to him. It's a little bit like our wedding ring. You know what my wedding ring says? It says, I belong to Heather, and she belongs to me. In fact, about 25 years ago, I bought her the nicest you know, ring that a 21-year-old could pay cash for. So I saved up, I negotiated, I got the best deal I could, and when I gave it to her, I said, I know you can't see that little 150th carat in there, but will you marry me? Will you be mine? Now here's the question. How much did the ring cost her? cost me a lot, but how much did it cost her? What's the answer? It didn't cost her a dime. I paid for it, right? Well, I guess we probably paid for it for the next few years of marriage. No. (laughs) I I did. I paid cash for it twice, actually. The first one got lost. It's a long story. I shared it years ago. One day I'll reshare it again. That's painful. Let's pray. (laughs) Sermon's (laughs) over. Dang. (laughs) I didn't put it in the sermon because I didn't want to think about it. No, no kidding, FBI got involved the whole nine yards. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Share the story again one day. Mark remembers it well, eating half gallons of ice cream every day, waiting for my, waiting for my ring to come in the mail. <laughs> You're like, I want to know that story. Forget the sermon. <laughs> oh, gosh. It didn't cost her anything. But when she received it, how much did it cost her? It cost her everything, didn't it? See, at the point when Heather said, you know, I I will marry you, when she stood before God and before me and before our witnesses, she gave her life to me. When she stood before God and she said her vows, now she belongs to me. She's mine. But guess what? I belong to her, and I'm hers also. This ring that I wear, it didn't cost me anything. She bought it for me, but when I received it, It cost me everything because I gave my life to her. She gave her life to me, and we gave our lives to the Lord. Now, here it is if you haven't caught it. Jesus shed his blood and died on a cross for you and I, and he offered us through that a free gift. It's called salvation. Ephesians 2.8 says, By grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a, what's the word? It is a gift of God salvation cost you and I nothing. It's a gift from God, but it costs Jesus. It costs God everything. And when you say yes to the gift, you no longer own the rights to your life. Do you understand that? Do you understand what we're talking about? When you say yes to him, you now belong to him. You surrender to his lordship. You're no longer the controller of your life. He is Galatians 2.20. I no longer live but Christ lives in me. But so often we see by our choices and our decisions that we make that we're we're just living the partial, casual, surrendered approach to Jesus, that he's just the little Lord Jesus asleep On the hay. No, he's not the little Lord Jesus in that tiny manger. What you and I need to understand is that he is the soon returning, reigning, conquering, ruling, supreme in authority, coming back with a sword coming out of his mouth. Revelation 19, 16, with names written on his cloak and on his thigh that says Jesus is the king of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. He means business. Does this side agree? Thanks, Renee, because I was fired up, and and I was looking for somebody. I mean, I'm sweating right now. Don't just say, Lord, Lord, and do whatever you want. Our lives don't belong to us. They belong to him. They belong to him. The real Proverbs says it this way. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him. But a better translation than acknowledge is terrible because we just like, oh, I acknowledge him. What that literally means, some translations accurately say it. In all your ways, I think it says on the screen, in all your ways what? Submit Submit to him. Oh, surrender to him. The difference between calling Jesus is Lord and being actually Lord of your life, is surrender. He's not a part-time Lord. He doesn't give us an option to be part-time followers. The little Lord Jesus, is that all he is to you? I'll take a little Lord in a manger. Or is he Lord of all your life? This Christmas, make a decision. You choose a little Lord or Lord of all your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for our children who just blessed us today. Thank you for Derek and Aaron and their incredible uh, trip and how they got to see what you're doing in Ecuador and in the lives of so many of the kids that we sponsor and support. And God, thank you that they were the hands and feet of Jesus to our kids that time. And Lord, as we look at the little Lord Jesus, we don't want him to be someone who's just in a manger. We want him to be the ruling, reigning, supreme king of kings and lord of lords in our lives. So, God, right now, all of us together, we say, God, we surrender to you. We surrender to your lordship. Would you say that right now if that's where your heart is? Say, God, I surrender to you. I surrender to your lordship in my life. God, hear these prayers. Help us to live it out by our actions, our choices, our behaviors, our decisions. God, right now we come to demonstrate some of that by giving you a gift, by giving you an offering as an act of worship. So God, use this for your glory, for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.